the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, tonight, we're going to be talking to State Representative David Greenspan, who's going to update us on what's going on in Columbus. So, Dave, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on, and we're experiencing some nice fall weather here, which is which is always encouraging. I know. I never thought we'd get here so quickly. I know with this COVID uh, pandemic that things have changed for all of us so much, and uh, the fact that when we were back in March, looks like we would never get to September, but we're here already. So, in any right. event, thank you, and you're doing your job down in Columbus. What's happening in Columbus uh, over the last well, month? Yeah, well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting, interesting couple months. Obviously, dealing with COVID, and then in the House, we we had a, um, an issue with the the former speaker, uh, who has been since been replaced, and and uh, the the new speaker of the Ohio House is is Representative now Speaker Bob Cup uh, out of Lima. That name may sound familiar to a number of folks. Bob was the had served in the Senate and served in the House as well, but he was also a Supreme Court justice. Uh, for a number of years, and uh, really a a uh, one of these guys that just has a solid, solid reputation, a very a, a very deliberate demeanor, and uh, one I think that will be serve us very well, especially as we move through you know the, the next uh, the next three or four months through the election season, and then coming back into lame duck. I see. Well, the, uh, how's the legislature doing with the new speaker and, and getting well, so, over this past uh, scandal? Yeah, yeah. So, so look, I don't think people fully realize the role of the speaker and, and you know, what is involved. It, it's a it's a very, um, very labor-intensive and all-encompassing position. I had the fortune, uh, the good fortune of rooming with Speaker Ryan Smith, and so I got to kind of see a little bit. He and I were roommates for about three years. Um, only about six months when he was speaker, but got to see what it what that job really entails, and and obviously it's managing the legislative process of the of the General Assembly of the House of Representatives, and obviously working with the Senate on on legislative priorities and the governor's office as well. But at the same time, you know the House of Representatives employs a couple hundred people, and so you're you're managing the affairs of a, of a business entity with the with a few hundred individuals. Um, in, in all facets of just general house administration, but but also caucus uh, policy staff, and and so that's uh, encompassing as well. But at the same time, the speaker's role is to is to recruit candidates for for the House of Representatives, uh, as is the minority leader. Uh, the minority leader has the same responsibilities to raise money and travel the state. So uh, so it, it, it's a big responsibility, and uh, I believe Speaker Cup. You know, will be able to serve uh, in that role well, and uh, my hope and expectation is is that he'll be reelected speaker uh, in January, and so we're working towards that. And uh, he seems to have have been able to come in and been able to provide a ba- provide a balance 
at least between us um, dealing with, with the current COVID environment and then also moving the House from a policy perspective forward. Well, the business of law and legislation still continues to go on, uh, right. and sounds like we're moving in that direction. How are we doing with COVID? How's Ohio doing at this point as we're ending summer and we're going to be yeah. going indoors for the autumn? How's that looking? Well, that, that's, a, that's, that's kind of the big unknown, right, you know, is, is how, how is this spread? Um, I, I believe in every time, you know, I'm on and we talk about this, we know more now than we did, you know, back in March as far as the the, the, the disease itself, you know, it, it, it's still, and I believe that the, the, the concept of it still being highly contagious is proving out by what we're seeing in our colleges and universities and so far as students, um, you know, a number of students testing positive. Uh, you know, the, 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 ben, uh, the, the other side of that is we're also learning that those who don't have um, uh, comorbidity issues and those who don't fall within certain parameters are are impacted little by this you know some not at all and some with mild flu-like like symptoms but if you're if you're you know in an age bracket or have have underlying health issues uh, this 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 virus is is not good it's it's it's, uh, it's not good for you and so trying to find that balance is is what the state's working on you know I, one of the things that's interesting and 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 i i've traveled a little bit uh, since this COVID started, and I've been been to the West Coast, I've been down south. And one of the things I can say from the places I've been and talking to friends and others from various parts of the country is that Ohio, by and large, is is much more open insofar as being able to to do and participate in in a number of activities. And whether it's whether it's going to restaurants, and one of the things I just want to bring up to that point is, you know, the governor never said a restaurant can only open to a certain percentage. He said, here are the rules and here are the guidelines. You guys, you know, figure out how to make it work. Uh, some restaurants, I've got a friend of mine who owns one, he's about 90% open because he's been able to work within the framework and the guidelines. Other states, New York, I, I believe that in the city itself, I don't think they even have in-person dining, you know, in, indoor dining. And they're about to head into the winter, and the, the mayor there is saying we will not allow in in indoor dining until there's a vaccine. And so whether it be that, I, I do, have a, you know, I think the 10 p.m. alcohol uh, issue is something we need to readdress. Uh, I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're penalizing folks who are doing, doing a lot of things correctly. Um, but if you look at sporting events, um, you know, the decision for the Big Ten, as an example, was a decision specifically for the Big Ten. And this weekend, you're going to see the ACC and Notre Dame is going to be playing this weekend. Another other you know top programs in the country, you're going to see the NFL started up today. You know the Browns, you know the, the the Browns you know played today. So we're starting to see you know things opening much more in Ohio than in other states. But we need to do better. We need we need to be more responsive, and we need to understand what this is and and what it isn't, and and we're working towards that. You know, as you mentioned, you were traveling around during the pandemic. Uh, have you been flying on airlines at all? I have. I have. And, 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 and I, I've been asking people to give us a, an example or an ex explanation of their experience. How safe did you feel and, and how safe was it to fly on airlines? We'd like to get people yeah, back. I, yeah, I, I didn't find it unsafe at all. Um, obviously, they're, they're limiting capacity, so you're not sitting on a, on a packed plane. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sanitizing the planes. 
in between flights. Uh, we actually flew uh, on a plane uh, on a trip out to out to the West Coast and flew through Denver, and we we were on the same plane, same piece of equipment from Cleveland to Portland, Oregon, but um, we had a, had a, a layover in Denver in the past. Pre-COVID, they would allow you to stay on the plane if you wish. We only had about a 45-minute layover, but not during COVID times. We had a deplane. They sanitized the plane. They came in with their defogger and did whatever United Airlines does. And when we came back on the plane, we were offered, you know, alcohol wipes to clean down our seats for extra, you know, security, you know, health security, you know, from the, from the customer, the traveler's perspective. Um, I, I will say, I mean, it was uncomfortable wearing a mask. Um, but uh, wearing a mask is a decision my family has made to protect ourselves and, and to protect others. And I, I don't believe in mandates. I believe that's a personal decision that we've made. I don't look negatively on those who, who choose not to wear masks. Um, it's an in, individual personalized decision. But uh, as far as the overall travel experience, um, you know, travel was lighter. There were fewer people in the airports. Not every, every establishment in the airport was open. But those that were open, I, I didn't feel at all as if my, my health was in, was in jeopardy. Um, I've, I flew to the south earlier uh, in, in the COVID process and there were, you know, in the COVID situation. And there were clearly fewer travelers then than there are now. Things are starting to pick up. People are starting to feel more comfortable that they understand what the risks are and what precautions they need to take. So the travel has been, been interesting. Uh, it's, it's it's not status quo, but it's I, I, I didn't feel unsafe or unhealthy at all. Well, that's good to hear because uh, I know some of us who have to travel normally have been putting off travel since the pandemic started, since the quarantine and the lockdowns and so on. But uh, as time passes, we have to get to some of these places to get some things done. And uh, we, we've been Zooming meetings enough, uh, and we'll continue to do that, but Getting back to the airlines and flying is going to be something we'll all be facing. Well, at least those of us who fly will be. So right. thank you for sharing sharing that information. Uh, with the, the rest of COVID, I, I think you mentioned Ohio. It seems like it's looking like it's uh, doing a fairly good job, all things considering. We're still facing the same pandemic issues. The virus has not changed. I think we're all awaiting uh, introduction of the vaccines that will be out there and see how that comes out. Uh, has there been, uh, well, we just have a few seconds yet before I have to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about how does it look from your standpoint about how we're going to distribute vaccines when it becomes available here in Ohio and how that will work. But uh, in, in the meantime, we're going to take a short break. We're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan on our, our monthly update on what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, with the state legislature and the state government. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Dave after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. with another segment of the Advocate. We're talking to Ohio State Representative Dave Greenspan about the state of the Ohio legislature and Ohio government. And right now, we're talking about the COVID. Um, Dave, thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate your insights and your reporting back to us. What's going on? 
uh, as we're talking about the uh, the COVID process and the prospect of a vaccine or vaccines being available, what are you hearing in Columbus as far as how we're going to go through a distribution cycle? Well, that's there. There have been, as far as I know, no no direct discussions about that. Um, you know, the, the vaccine obviously is working its way through the, the federal trial, pro, you know, trials process through the FDA. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a, a supporter of mandated or mandatory um, uh, vaccines, um, especially when we're dealing with flu vaccines and, and COVID vaccine. So I don't believe there's going to be, and, and there are conspiracy theorists out there that are, you know, anticipating there's going to be a statewide mandate that you have to get a vaccine. I'm not hearing any of that, nor is that something that I would be supportive of. But, you know, I do think as as the, as the vaccine proves out, I believe people will want to become vaccinated. I know that every year I get a flu shot. Uh, that's a, a decision, a personal decision I make, and I'll be getting mine here soon. But as far as a mandate, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in favor of that, nor am I hearing that that's going to be occurring. You know, what comes to mind, I know we're going through not only the end of summer, beginning of fall, but we're talking about the uh, reintroduction of students to school and going back to uh, classrooms, either in uh, primary schools or even in universities. And I, I do recall that uh, didn't some school districts require mandatory vaccinations of certain childhood diseases before a kid can go to school? Uh, might, might that be the same consideration for some type of COVID vaccine? Yeah, there there are some requirements there, but there's also the availability for families to opt out under certain circumstances. And um, so it's too early to to speculate as to what what this may or may not look like as far as a vaccine is concerned. I'm just from from my perspective, um, especially when it comes to flu and flu like vaccines, um, I I, I do not support mandates of of those types of uh, of those types of of vaccines. Speaking of schools, is there any trend or anything you're hearing statewide about how reopening the schools is going so far here into yeah. the middle of September? Yeah so, yeah, so so obviously the governor has been encouraging school districts to open and made it left it as a local decision, and and schools are working with their local county board or local boards of health. There's some county and there's some municipal boards of health. Um, you know, here in Cuyahoga County. I know my my five public school districts, as an example, all started the year online in a distance learning environment. Some private schools uh, went in person and offered a hybrid and in person or an online option. Um, Cuyahoga County, thankfully, over the last four weeks has transitioned for four weeks in a row from red down to orange as far as the um, the notification level, as far as the, the threat of the uh, spread of the virus. So in, in my district, uh, starting tomorrow, starting on Monday, uh, Westlake and Bay Village will be uh, converting and transitioning from a, an all-distance learning environment to a hybrid distance learning uh, in-school environment. And so those two districts are transitioning, at least in, in my state rep district. Um, North Olmsted has made the decision to, to totally distance learn for nine weeks and evaluate then. And we'll see what the other districts do. We're starting to see more districts go to a hybrid, go to a hybrid model. Um, I believe the private schools that have been opening in with it with an in-person uh, option as well as a distance learning option, um, the, the the families that are opting in for in in-person school uh, is is significantly high in the 80 plus percentile. 
So that will be a great indicator to determine how schools are able to safely open, uh, whether it be in a lot of schools from what I'm hearing and what I'm experiencing, the students are required, you know, everybody's required to wear masks. Uh, access to the school is limited. They're doing different things with specials and how students and faculty move around the building. Uh, and some districts are having their students not only wear masks, but they sit behind a, a plexiglass shield uh, and wear a mask kind of as a double protection there. And, uh, you know, we'll see here soon, you know, if we know the incubation period is 14 to 21 days, a lot of schools have been back two to three weeks, we'll start to hear if there are spikes in cases in these in mm -hmm. these private schools, which will be an indicator as to what the public schools um, can look, can expect. That, that's certainly for sure. Because uh, my my thought is is that it sounds like the way you're describing what the private schools are doing is the best that we can do with regard yeah. to putting up barriers and separation and so forth. So doing the best right. we can. The question will be: Is the best we can is that good enough? So we'll see how right. that all, all works out. Another topic moving on is the yeah. uh, topic of the economy and how is mm -hmm. that reflected in tax revenue and what we're seeing in withholding taxes and uh, pro projecting whether or not we're going to have enough money to at least run the basics in the state of Ohio, whether we're well, exceeding those expectations yeah. or whether things are worse. Well, that, that's, that's a great, that's a, a, a great uh, you know, concern that we have here in the state is, you know, how, how are we doing? And what we're seeing is that, and, and this is reflective in the unemployment numbers, our unemployment numbers is at or below the national average. We're, we're in, the, in the low to mid 8% unemployment. Uh, we were high in the mid 20s, and now we're, now we're in the eights. And I think before the election here, you know, before November, I think both nationally and locally, we'll, you know, within the state of Ohio, we'll see our unemployment rate in the sevens. And, you know, in Ohio, we got down to 4.1%. So the fact that we'd be, you know, in the sevens after experiencing such a high unemployment rate prior to this is is encouraging. And those those numbers are not only reflected there in, in the unemployment numbers, but they're also reflected in what we're seeing as far as state revenue is concerned. So revenue is upticking. Um, you know, it's better than, than than the original projections because I believe that the economy and the amount of employees going back to work is ramping up quicker than most people maybe even were originally projecting back in you know March, April, May. So our revenues are up. You know we're still going to have a deficit this year. There's no doubt about it. You know we we it, it is what it is in, in in that respect. Now it's just a matter of measuring what that what that impact's going to be. And we'll see here. You know in January we start contemplating a transportation budget right away. We have to pass one by February 15th. And we have to pass an operating budget by uh, by the end of June. So uh, quickly, we'll get a feel for where we are and what we're doing. But things seem to be moving um, in the right direction based on where we were and based on the original projections. Um, well, that, that's good to hear. So we're moving in the right direction. That, But yeah. as I mentioned earlier, with the change in the weather and change of uh, introduction of schools, we're going to uh, actually, with the weather getting colder, we're going to have less outdoor dining, which I know has been a very big helping cause to right. keep restaurants going. People are going to have to move indoors, and we're going to see how that works when people go inside. And uh, the schools will see in two or three weeks how that's playing out. Are there any state recommendations that uh, you're aware of that they're talking about to help all of us minimize these risks as we go from outdoors? and safety to indoors and heightened risk. 
Well, I, the, I have not heard anything new other than the standard protocols that everybody has you know, talked about. You know, uh, you know, right now, you know, there's a statewide mask mandate, so wearing a mask. But as far as general sanitation is concerned, obviously, you know, washing your hands and and whether you're going to restaurants or businesses, you know, general sanitation protocols that are in place to deal with COVID are going to continue, uh, you know, as we move into the warmer, warmer weather. You know, you're right. You're you're going to start to see, especially in restaurants and bars, as the weather gets colder, where folks have felt more comfortable outside, will have to go inside. And so we'll see how that transition works and, and what that looks like. But I know that you know we're going to work with the, with the administration to ensure that the best protocols are put in place. As uh, we're looking toward October, uh, is there anything that we should be watching for in the news or you'll report to us next month that's on the agenda for the legislature or for the state? Yeah, I would say right now that obviously the, the, the COVID federal money, the CARES Act money, us moving that money down to the local partners is going to be important. Uh, Representative Laura Lanise and I, uh, Laura's out of Grove City, she and I have introduced a bill to repeal House Bill 6. And which is the bill that that's the, the nuclear nuclear bailout, nuclear grant bill, however you want to phrase it. Um, Representative Lenise and I are advocating for a full repeal of the bill. And if individuals wish to bring forward a replacement, which is probably merited, that we start to look at a, a power generation policy. Uh, House Bill 6 is not that. Uh, that bill, we had our first hearing this past week, proponent testimony. And in the next coming weeks, we're going to have more testimony uh, on repealing House Bill 6. So that's one of the items that's on the agenda right now um, as we're, as we're you know, heading into the fall. Um, oh, I, I've well. obviously, yeah, and I know, you, you know we've been talking about legalizing sports gaming. I can tell you we're very close to having a bill that both the House and the Senate and, and hopefully the administration are comfortable with. We'll move that bill now, forward now as well. We need, uh, then we need to get through the pandemic so we can have college sports. Is right. that all open right. up again? But in any event, we're going to uh, stop it there for our break time here. So, uh, Representative Dave Greenspan, thank you as always for joining us. We'll, we'll talk to you next month. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next uh, two segments, we're going to take a break from COVID-19 to some degree and talk about some of the things we're missing, especially what we missed Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland, and that is the Cleveland National Air Show. And, and for those of us who really love aviation and everything to do with air shows, Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland always included the voice of the air show narrator, Danny Clisham. And we have him joining us tonight so we can hear his wonderful voice, even though we don't have the airplanes with us. <laughs> Danny, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's always good to hear your voice, Colonel Nick Phillips, and uh, be able to chat a little bit before or after the fact, uh, the fact that we didn't have a show last weekend. <laughs> I know. That, that, that is something. But, uh, you know, every year. You know, we've known each other for, how, oh, my, over 20 years, I would imagine. We've oh, been. Much over 20 years, yeah. You bet. We were uh, um, both in cadets. We were young together. We were 12. <laughs> so, well, a- aviation in Cleveland certainly is, is uh, rooted in history here, and uh, you being out here for the Cleveland Air Show. 
Um, of course, I said we're not going to talk about COVID, but we can't uh, avoid the impact of, of COVID and, and how it's uh, changed our lives this year, the year 2020. will be always known for everybody who's alive now as the, the COVID year. Um, how's it gone for you, and how's it gone for the aviation community? Well, it hasn't gone. It has stopped, as a matter of fact, because of all of the necessary restrictions that people are aware of these days. We don't have to go into it, but the uh, safety of our spectators and our army of volunteers and our performers all at stake, and it's just not worth the gamble. So uh, from the be- about the beginning of our air show season, which predominantly in the U.S. starts about mid-March, and ends about mid-November. We have done very little in the way of traditional air shows. There have been flybys, uh, non-aerobatic flybys, salute to military, salute to anniversaries of the military and whatnot, but very few of those as well. And uh, so we have been uh, doing what air show performers don't like to do, and that they do not like to stay home on the weekends. We have road people, especially in the right. spring, summer, and fall, and we miss our friends. You know, we develop great friendships and partnerships over the years at all these great air show towns like Cleveland. And uh, it means so much to us to be there. We are privileged to be able to perform in a town like Cleveland with all it has to offer. As you said, the great barnstorming and the rich racing history of Cleveland. And we still are providing that modern-day thrills to uh, people in and around Cleveland. And uh, we hope to do it in the future. In fact, uh, we are right now starting very hard, or we have been, to prep for next year. We are all very positive about this getting solved and the danger going away and getting back out to do what we love to do so much, and that is to entertain families across North America and, in a lot of cases, of our colleagues around the world. Well, I think everybody who's involved in the uh, aviation business uh, as it goes with regard to the air shows, uh, you said they they don't like to be grounded, essentially. And that's one (laughs) of the terms they use in pilots, when you're grounded, meaning you can't fly. And uh, for those people who fly, they they know the fun and the the joy of not only flying, but actually being there watching them. When when we talk about the Cleveland Air Show, and, and it's not atypical, they're like air shows all over, when we have the Cleveland Air Show, about how many people do we have involved in it? I know we have the performers, the ground crews, the support people, the volunteers, the spectators. We're, we're talking about thousands, I, I would imagine. Yeah, you are. No no established or bona fide air show across North America, which certainly includes Cleveland, would be possible without an army of volunteers. And they run at Cleveland into the hundreds. Uh, the fact is these are people that I get a chance to see every year at their assigned posts, which are close to where I work. And they give up their entire they give up their entire holiday weekend to be out there before the sun comes up in the morning. And then as they finish off their duties, the sun is going down in the afternoon and they're heading home to get some much needed sleep to be back out again the next morning. And the sacrifice that they provide and the expertise and professionalism, the courtesy that they have helping the family of spectators that we have is um, just inspirational. And again, no show in North America 
would be successful without the volunteers. And uh, Cleveland, with its rich oh. tradition that goes back to 1929, certainly is a right. is one of the great examples of dedicated people like that. They, we just love them, absolutely love them. And you will hear the pilots talking from the cockpit during their performance quite often, uh, paying salute to certain people and then also acknowledging the volunteers. We know how important they are, and we <laughs> we absolutely love them. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Well, uh, you, to take some of the pain away for the 2020 Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland, Monday was a complete washout. Uh, in some areas, we had five inches of rain, a lot of flooding, and uh, all of our communications were being interrupted with the National Weather Service uh, emergency broadcast saying, watch out for flash flooding. So uh, we, we would have been down. So looking at the, the COVID year 2020, looking at it fr from a mental standpoint that the big pause button has been forcibly pushed for us. So we're pausing everything and we're just sort of reliving what we've been doing in the past and looking forward to what we'll be doing in the future. So I'm glad to hear we're all focusing on getting ready for 2021. So that will be exciting. Yeah, our, our, we have a positive approach to everything. And, of course, it's our big wish to have a normal season next year, and that's what we're going in at. That's what we're gearing up for. And uh, I just, I, you know, a lot has been said about, the, the issue, but uh, we've been through some tough things generations before us in this country, and it's a test, and we'll get through this test as well. This time the test is the entire world, not just the United States, not just America or North America, but the entire world. You always have to keep that in mind, that we're not the only one. Uh, our country is not the only country affected. So we're well, all that's, an, that's an excellent point. Well, we are, and... Uh, we uh, we have solved things before with the resources we have, with the intelligence we have, with the great dedicated people. This is a problem that will be solved. Some of the problems that have come up before us before have been complicated. Some have been fairly simple. And some, if you go way back in uh, er the early dates of some of the flus that came around then with no protection, they annihilated millions of people around the globe. So. With the medicines we have and the precautions we have and the agencies we have, we uh, are at a much better chance than any of the generations before us. I, I agree. Uh, we watch things moving, as they're saying now, at warp speed. Uh, things that would take years to be done from a scientific standpoint are being done in the matter of weeks and months. And uh, we we hope that it's going to be safe and we have to trust in our our science, that it's, it's going to get us through this. And like all bad things, like all rainy days, they'll all be over someday, and, and the coronavirus will be over. The um, I, I noticed that with regard to pilots generally and the whole idea of the FAA and medical certi certifications and that kind of thing, there's all types of special COVID rules that are out there that are making it a bit easier for pilots to get through this time frame. Yes, they had to be able to modify some of the restrictions they had on your FAA flight physical that allows you to fly, and they've given the pilots uh, an extension to be able to get in 
to see the flight positions. There's a limited amount of flight positions in the U.S. So they have to stagger the appointments, of course, and uh, do the distancing. So that was one of the one of the side provisions that came out. Uh, people are adapting. Let me just put it that way. Everybody adapts in the way they can in the profession they're in or the area where they live. They just do the best they can and, and try to make it all work and uh, just continue to, to continue an effort. That's the most important thing. Have a positive attitude. Continue working towards a solution. Well, I can't wait to see you back up on show center stage uh, in <laughs> Cleveland uh, talking about all of those wonderful aircraft we're going to be seeing. We're, we're going to take a short break. We're, we're talking to Danny Clisham, an air show announcer, actor, aerial film coordinator, and a pilot. Thank goodness being a pilot. And uh, he is, you've heard his voice many, many years for, oh my, uh, 30 or more years in Cleveland every Maybe, Labor Day weekend. You know what? I had to- I had some time over the weekend to do some research, and uh, my first visit to Cleveland was 1981. So next year, 2021, you do the math. That's the big four zero. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, let, let's take a short. Let's take a short break. Uh, we're going to be back with Danny Clisham talking about the Cleveland National Air Show and uh, all the things we missed Labor Day. But we'll be back next year. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes now. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate tonight. Uh, we're so pleased to have a very familiar-sounding person, Danny Clisham, who is the air show announcer for the Cleveland National Air Show. Next year will be 40 years, I'm understanding. Danny, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks. It's always a pleasure to, to be able to talk to you, Colonel. It's great. You know, we're, we're talking about 40 years next year. Where did that time go? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it uh, reminds me of that adage about time flies when you're having fun. And uh, I have driven most of the time from my summer home in Ann Arbor down to Cleveland. And it seems like the Labor Day weekends came in, came sooner and sooner every year. And I, I'm sure that as I was heading eastbound into Burke Lakefront Airport one year, I saw myself going the opposite direction, heading home from the show prior to that. And I had to do a double take. But they are... They have clicked off pretty rapidly because of such a pure joy. We've got a great leadership group in uh, at the Cleveland National Air Show, the Chuck Newcomb organization, and all these great team members. And they're so professional. The crowds are so great. The, the volunteers are fantastic. And to be able, Nick, to work Cleveland, as uh, people in the entertainment industry and the air show industry say as well, to be able to work Cleveland with its great tradition and its heroes of barnstormers and speed kings where the fastest men and women in the world were civilians and they were at Cleveland. It was a center of speed. It was a center of air racing. It was the center of breaking all records and allowing people to see airplanes going at a speed that they never thought possible. And that that tradition continues. And we're just so happy to be a small part of that 
tradition. You're great, you're great uh, audience and spectators. I urge them to take a visit down to the Burke Lakefront Airport, and you'll see a display of two F-4 fighters outside of Burke, ah, yes. up on pedestals. One in the color of the Blue Angels, Navy demonstration team, one in the color of the Thunderbirds, U.S. Air Force demonstration team, and it is the Marjorie Rosenbaum Plaza. And it's worthy of a visit for you and your entire family to spend some time there. There is parking right there. I have been down there, Nick, when I've seen people enjoying their lunch around the plaza. There are plaques and displays that pay tribute to all of the legendary air racers and barnstormers and organizers. And it's in a flowery uh, garden-type atmosphere. There's a walk of fame, just like out in Hollywood, but cleaner. And at night, it's backlit to be able to show the dynamic colors of the two F4s that are way over your head. And then a big wall that has the poem High Flight by John Gillespie McGee. Ah, yes. And it's a very sacred place. It, it is, um, it's worth a visit any time of the year when and uh, you want to get outside and uh, enjoy it with your family. It is free. It's at Burke Lakefront Airport, and it's it's monumental. It's almost, it's pretty spiritual to us, Nick, because the very pe- people that are featured there were the reasons we got into doing what we're doing, because we had heroes that were air show pilots and race pilots, and we wanted, as kids, to be like them. We wanted to be at Cleveland, and our dream came true in a lot of cases. Well, well, you know, and as I'm listening to you and listening uh, to you talk about the history and especially the 40 years, that you know, we, we can't forget that the traditions that we all have as we're growing up uh, that are repeated year after year after year does carry through all these generations of people so that when we have the Cleveland Air Show just in those 40 years, we have at least three generations of Clevelanders who would be coming down to the air show with their fathers, and then they became fathers and brought their children, who are now fathers themselves. And the fact that we get down to there and see these old, familiar things. You know, I've had hamburgers before, but hamburgers are never better than on a on a very hot late <laughs> afternoon before the Thunderbirds come out. And you go out there and stand in the grass and buy a, a hamburger <laughs> from that's, one of these vendors. That's living at its finest. We, we call that... Uh, we call that the uh, steak sandwich at an air show, and it's kept a lot of people alive at air shows and other events over the course of the years. But you're right. it's We're so happy. We are an out-of-door venue. We are, as you just said, Nick, family-friendly. We do not embarrass anybody from kids in strollers up to the great-grandparents and every generation in between. We don't embarrass them with our actions or our words. Uh, that might uh, not be the case with other forms of entertainment, and we give them we give them a sense, uh, in mm-hmm. some cases, of nostalgia. And uh, in the case of a little kid uh, walking with his uh, parents or grandparents, uh, that little kid may not have seen a biplane with a wing walker on it, so it's brand new to them. It's uh, an old tradition to grandma, grandfather and grandmother. But uh, every one of those generations can be thrilled that, you know, when the airplanes fly, your rib cage rattles, you know, and the ground shakes (laughs) beneath your feet. And 
typical of Cleveland down at Burke on air show weekends. Do you remember, Dick, when the tactical solo military jets would go by at just under the feet of sound? Remember how the moisture built up on the wings and formed a wall? Oh, yes. There for, yeah, great photo opportunity. And I can hear the crowd behind me when that happens. They go, Ooh. I would always tell my wife, I said, that's the sound of freedom. <laughs> that is. Yes, it is the sound of freedom. No doubt about it. Yep. Yep. And, well, of course, we pay tribute to our men and women in uniform as well. Uh, they are working hard in the air at those shows. They are, too, giving up a long weekend to crew the airplanes that not only come in to fly over Burke, but also Burke has one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ground display uh, venues of any air show we do on the North American circuit. Uh, the, the airplanes, military and civilian, old and new, that are on the ground are worth the price of admission alone. And not only on the ground, but you're able to get up close, maybe in some cases take a peek inside of a fighter jet, uh, talk to the crew <laughs> members, get a photo opportunity, get a selfie, uh, meet the crew members, shake their hands. You might find that they are people that grew up in Cleveland and are coming back with their aircraft or with their display to not only uh, allow the spectators to enjoy that particular airplane, but also maybe hook up with their family and friends on the evenings they're in town and do some uh, renewing of friendships and family ties. Oh, that, that's for sure. And, you know, just see, as, as again, as you're talking about this, I'm reflecting back on what I remember the air show being like. And just example after example of great parenting as those moms and dads are there with their kids. And uh, like you say, these kids are getting to see airplanes up, up close and uh, personal. I, I remember that uh, when I had my airplanes actually come down and leave it at the show for people to look at, a small general aviation plane. But parked next to a United 737, and the fact that there, there are a lot of people who this was their only opportunity to actually get onto an airplane. I mean, everybody doesn't fly, and for those who want to get up close and see what it's like, it was a great opportunity. We long for those days to come back, and we know they're going to make it back here. There have, since the dawn of aviation, there always has been air shows, and there always will, believe me. Well, I, I think uh, the air show will be back, and it's great that plans are in process. And like we said earlier, every day is not a rainy day. The COVID is going to pass, and uh, next year we should be definitely back to uh, where we were and where we hope to be. And uh, real quick question, the Warbirds. I mean, we all miss the Warbirds, the World War II aircraft and, and beyond. Are, are they all in hibernation for the summer? No, they, they have been out doing a parade-type flybys for uh, anniversary military air shows to, to honor certain um, important dates in our military. So they have been over doing shows over the water, over some, some rivers, and also over Washington, D.C. Uh, but it is a straight-level flyby. It's like a history of flight, showing you all the great and early aircraft from oh, wow. before, during, and after World War II up into the Korean era and maybe even the Vietnam era. So it's a parade well, of flight, uh, and with, uh -huh. with that particular venue, we have been able to do spacing on the ground. And there's one other thing that has come out. I don't want to neglect it. I still have two air shows left this year that are on the books, 
One of the adaptations they have done is doing what we call drive-in theater accommodation. And that is where you bring your car in with your party and you stay around your car and you're distanced from the car next to you. It complies with all of the health requirements and recommendations. So people are saying, we have found a way to be able to allow the crowd to come in and see uh, we're the air show performance. Very yes. good. Some, some oh, we're we're very clever, very some, clever people. Some, yes, uh, imagination rules the world. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we're going to have to say goodbye to Danny Clisham. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little taste of the Cleveland National Air Show. Nick Phillips, it's always a pleasure. I will see you next year. At, I will guarantee you can count on it. Thank you so much. That was Danny Clisham. He was our air show announcer for the Cleveland National Air Show. And that's it for tonight. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great weekend. Stay healthy. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until